Hi, and welcome back to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Today's episode is going to take a look at recovery, how to get from being a victim to a survivor and ultimately a thriver. I'm not going to lie to you or candy it up. Recovery from narcissistic abuse is one of the hardest things you will ever be tasked to do. And the worst part is that you will most likely have to do it alone and without any real closure, like you would have in a normal relationship. It crushes your soul to know that while you struggle to let go of the past and to try to manage the anguish of lost hope for the future, that they have already moved on effortlessly as if you never existed all memories wiped clean, completely erasing you along with any trace that you ever existed. It is selective amnesia. It is complete annihilation. Well, first of all, one of the things to think about is that the road to healing is not linear and there is no quick recipe to the end of this and the end of the suffering that you have to endure. Friends and family will most likely not understand what has happened and they may abandon you during the nuclear fallout that follows an extinction level event such as this. Often you come off as the scorned mate who is simply bitter and angry and ready to slap a label on things just for spite. They may tell you to stop the drama and just get over it already and to move on. It's okay if they don't understand, if they don't know the truth about abuse recovery dynamics. They were not there, so it shouldn't matter if they jump to illogical conclusions. There's nothing logical about the disordered mind of the one who torpedoed your life So it's best to just let it go and focus on the things that you can actually control. There are things that you can do to facilitate healing and maximize wellness. And that process is what you can and should take charge of in the crisis. So grab your most rugged gear, arm up. It's going to be a long, hard battle for survival. Here we go. Let's jump in. First, you must understand exactly what has happened to you. You must determine if, in fact, the person you are dealing with has a personality disorder. Because that's a game changer. It does change everything. It's usually not clear until the very end when the mask comes off and you get a real up-close and personal look at what has always been hiding underneath. If and when that happens, There is no doubt that this is no regular, normal event. You're going to know, beyond a doubt. So for me, even though I knew there were issues, maybe things like infidelity, incompatibility with moral values, things like that, I focused on what did work through my marriage. And there were so many things about 
my marriage that actually worked quite beautifully. We had a very nice partnership that thrived on teamwork and we uh, established a domestic life that performed well on most every level, smoothly, cooperatively, equally. The balance of power was shared and we were helpmates in ways that were mutually beneficial for a long time. He was everything I ever dreamed of, except for that small percentage of the time when he was my worst nightmare. But when these bad times came, which they invariably always did, we quickly and efficiently just swept them under the one of our beautiful rugs and our beautiful home. I did not have the ability to really look at it and see it as a sign of serious trouble. Even when it escalated and manifested as undeniably serious trouble and what some might even call criminal acting out, I was complicit through my silence and inaction. What could paralyze someone so completely that they fail to protect themselves and the ones they love from being violated and abused? Fear withers you. It paralyzes every part of your being, turns your feet to stone and your mind to mush so that you cannot escape or move towards the exit. It is a learned and conditioned helplessness, a learned and conditioned helplessness that is effectively making you a prisoner of your worst nightmares. You know, I never understood why some women uh, would stay with men who would beat them and abuse them. And, but really, narcissistic abuse is no different. Now, I understand with painful clarity why victims are immobilized. There are layers of reasons why you can't act in defense and leave the situation, and none of them ease your guilt or the condemnation that you receive from those like your children or family members or friends who suffered right there beside you and just cannot understand why you stayed. They knew all along and begged for you to see what they could see so clearly, and they do not understand now the reasons why you don't just feel relief that the crazy-making perpetrator of chaos is gone. No one will probably ever fully comprehend the complete scope of the abuse that erodes an individual's ability to take control of a malignant situation unless it happens to them. I certainly didn't, and then it happened to me, and now I do. Now I am humbled and I understand things that I never dreamed possible. We were both impaired as we cozied up and did the dance of dysfunction. His narcissistic personality disorder and addiction coupled with my dependent personality disorder and codependent attachment issues were a delicious yet poisonous brew. I believe that we are the architects of our future, cooperatively designing a life together that would sustain us, fill our hunger, quell our demons, and bring unlimited happiness and fulfillment. And in this case, with my marriage, I thought that we shared a common vision, which is super important, probably the most important thing in a relationship, common values, 
shared values and vision. We, I thought we had that and that we were creating a life that was respectable and substantive, rich and serving in um, our students and making a, an impactful contribution to their lives while creating a future that would be comfortable, secure, and filled with grand adventures, extensive travel, meaningful experiences. I thought it was great, but it was all an illusion. How can one explain such cognitive dissonance and delusions? He showed me exactly what I wanted to see. He provided fertile ground to build a false world that he never fully bought into. It seemed like everything I had ever hoped for. But a closer look revealed disturbing patterns and a lack of the necessary tools to construct anything of lasting value. It was just a facade, a false front, like a movie set. The ethics required to govern action and steer away from danger were absent. I could have, could have named it if only I had paused to look a little closer. But enough about his lack of remorse or empathy or conscience. Let's take a closer look at the person in the role of victim and hopeful survivor in an abusive relationship so that we can examine what compels them to attach to a narc in the first place. Then take a look at how to avoid repeating the same mistake over and over in repetition, which is quite common. When children are very young, if they do not experience a trusting and nurturing attachment to their parent or to their guardian, They can grow and leave this comforting cocoon when ready. That's the ideal um, thing that you're trying to do as a child. If that doesn't happen, they develop an anxious attachment style filled with fear, abandonment issues, and clingy, needy, possessive, and anxious attitudes towards their partner. This type of attachment is called an insecure attachment style. And these people may find themselves looking for someone who is selfish, emotionally unavailable, manipulative, and and things like that. Narcissists are like sharks, powerful predators who can smell blood in the water from miles away. An injured person with childhood wounds is the perfect supply for the person with NPD. It is a match made in hell. Once in the relationship, the trauma bonding begins, and there is a kind of cult-like brainwashing that causes victims to rally around their abuser in a Stockholm Syndrome, Patty Hearst kind of way. It makes it impossible to leave the relationship as you make yourself a willing hostage. Trauma bonding, a term developed by Patrick Carnes, is the misuse of fear, excitement, sexual feelings, and sensual physiology that entangles another person so that they can feed on their energy. This kind of bonding, this trauma bonding, makes it hard to enforce boundaries. Thus, we, are, we comprise, compromise our values and the line regarding what we accept in order to hang on to the relationship. 
Many primary aggressors exhibit extreme behavior and push the boundaries on a regular basis. For example, they actually tell you the lurid details of their misbehavior to elicit a panicked and desperate response, thereby getting the reward that they seek. They get fuel. They get that reaction that they they crave. Growing up in an unsafe home gives later unsafe situations more sticking power. They stick. They're sticky. There is a compulsive need to recreate a similar dynamic so that it can uh, be healed or overcome or fixed in some way, thus creating a happy ending finally at last for everyone once and for all. It's just that it never works that way. You can't heal people like that. This all has a biological basis beyond any learned response. It is a trauma in one's history that makes the landscape rich and fertile for trauma bonding to occur because trauma often causes numbing around many aspects of intimacy. Traumatized people often respond positively to a dangerous person or situation because it makes them feel something, makes them feel alive, feel human, and it also feels very familiar from their childhood. If they can learn to see that part of the attraction, that it's a natural process resulting from their childhood wounds, they may be able to understand those feelings and manage the situation more intentionally. Intense relationships also tend to hijack all of the survivor's ability to relate to others, leading to a chronic state of overload and feeling overwhelmed. While it is very easy to become attached to a chaotic and disordered person, because you know they're usually very charming, charismatic, and sensual, it is simply not possible to form a consistent internal object representation about them. This is the word to remember, internal object representation. When separated from the dysregulated narcissistic partner, the urge to make contact is most often irrationally intense. You feel like you're going to die without this person. I know I did for months. There is a biological craving for the emotional intensity that no normal relationship can can ever satisfy. It's chemical. It's It's brain science. It's actual in the body and in the cells, not just in your mind. This, in turn, provides a feeling of being totally alone and empty when you cannot connect with them, and the only way to remedy the feeling is to return to the abuser. It explains why it is so difficult to maintain no contact, and it functions in much the same way as an addiction to a drug like heroin. Some people have even said that withdrawal from heroin is easier than withdrawal from an addictive personality uh, disordered person like a narcissist. The only way to avoid incapacitating pain is to indulge in the drug, thus increasing the dependency with every use. And there you go, round and round in a circle. Another reason victims stay is that they, 
along with everyone else involved, buy into the con. It's a con. A common controlling maneuver is to deliver a mix of many true statements and then a few lies, which are sprinkled in there, commonly known as the, well, I'm going to say it, as the mind fuck. Next, they are masters of something called word salad. That's a narcissistic term, word salad, which is a nonsensical, circuitous type of talk that is designed to deflect, diffuse, and disable. And that's what they're trying to do to you, deflect, diffuse, and disable, because they're never going to take responsibility for anything. They're never going to say they're sorry. They're never going to own their mistakes. They deflect, they diffuse, they disable. Try, try asking a question, expecting accountability or eliciting an apology. They are not going to give you what you seek. Any effort to confuse or cause doubt can be called gaslighting, which describes actions that make another person believe that he or she is crazy or that discredit the person by making others think that they are, that they are crazy. Con artists also minimize the problems and make you believe that you might be just reactionary and overly dramatic um, when that would be a normal response, really, under the circumstances. They are also known to do something called blame shifting, where they never accept responsibility for any of their actions. They flip it. And they blame the victim. We've all heard about blaming the victim. And this is nowhere more apparent than in a toxic relationship where the perpetrator refuses any accountability for their misbehavior. A betrayal bond occurs when you develop a strong attachment to this person or to the addictive process that is destructive to you. Yet you cannot walk away. Betrayal can be defined as when someone you trust lies to you, cheats on you, abuses you, or hurts you by putting their own self-interest first, which is a foundational dynamic in a relationship with a cluster B personality disordered individual. After a period of time, the victim suffers from cognitive dissonance and does not know them, does not allow, which it confuses them. It's a mind-boggling kind of brain scramble where you cannot um, recognize what is real from what is fiction. That, lo- that line becomes terribly blurred. Victims don't leave for other reasons, even more insidious. Their attachment style, empath abilities, and codependency all contribute to a mindset that becomes a prison that keeps them tethered to the narcissist. We think we can fix them, heal them, and love them back to health. We have such empathy, deep empathy, for the abuse um, that they suffered as a child. But, you know, ironically, the things that damaged their development and created their dysfunction are really the same things that that took away any capacity for them to feel empathy for other human beings. It isn't that one of the most important things that comprise our humanity is missing. Isn't that significant? That really that's what makes us human. We can try to enlighten them about things like integrity, morality, and honor, 
But these are meaningless, meaningless concepts to a person with no capacity for ethics, compassion, remorse, or conscience. They are simply incapable of, of knowing what those feelings even are. They can fake it, they can mirror you, but they don't genuinely experience those feelings. Sadly, a person without these things becomes a dangerous predator. They cannot feel another person's pain. They do not know what love and intimacy are, and they cannot experience it. And they feel a void that can never be filled. Accepting that this is their true fate uh, breaks the hearts of the ones who genuinely love them, since it means that these people are lost and beyond salvation or redemption. So victim mentality makes you feel like a pathetic, used-up shell of your former self, right? You prefer to rebrand as a survivor? I think so. Yes, that's the ultimate goal. Nobody wants to be a victim. We want to be survivors. Prepare for the biggest challenge of your life, though. After accepting the reality of this situation, the next step is to focus on self-care and recovery. And that is not easy especially for people who aren't really accustomed to doing this. You have been deeply in love and pathologically attached to an illusion, accepting that your reality is not reality at all and never was is an enormous task. It's scary. It requires a team that can address each of the pieces that need healing. I immediately began screaming from the rooftops that I was on fire and needed someone to throw a bucket of water on me. I had no shame since it was not my fault. I reached out to everyone and anyone in hopes of helping that might help me and give me a hand. You know, you learn a lot about the people you know and which ones have what it takes to help you. Some of the people I thought might come to the rescue retreated and left me to burn. Others that I barely knew or did not know at all stepped up to douse the flames and wrap me in a blanket. I was burned and bloody and raw as I prayed for death to end the suffering. But once past the shock of it all, I summoned enough strength to want to survive. This took weeks. It didn't happen overnight. I located doctors to prescribe neurotransmitter blockers for the incapacitating panic attacks. I got professional therapists together and life coaches to help me heal my wounds. Support groups were really great. Um, They have those on narcissistic abuse recovery. There's Christ-centered programs at the church like divorce care that I did that was really pretty cool. Gives you spiritual strength and you need all the help you're going to be able to get healers in the alternative medicine community. I use them to cleanse my chakras and cut the energy cords. People I could call anytime, day or night when I went batshit crazy with the dark thoughts and memories. It's a really dark place that you go to. Sometimes you don't feel like you can dig yourself out of it. It felt like I was moving through days in a fog with phantom feelings of the missing limb that had been severed from my being. I built a support network that could help me survive. No one could do this work alone, regardless of how strong you think you are. There is nothing typical or ordinary about it. And the walls you must climb to get to the other side are formidable. 
Now I am months out and I still feel underwater much of the time. I am profoundly lonely, sad, grieving. I don't sleep much. I can't watch TV. I never listen to music because they are all triggers and gateways to meltdowns. I'm not sure when this period of mourning will end, but I know to be patient and hope for the best as I try to reconstruct a life without the man who could not be what he needed to be for me or for himself, for either one of us. I know he has tossed me in the pile of disposable items that he no longer needs or or ever even thinks about, for that matter. It is a loss of history, the invalidation of our many years together. Almost two decades, he was my husband. It is that complete eradication that harms me the most. To everyone who knows someone who is experiencing something like this, to friends and family, please be kind. Do not forsake us in our time of need because you don't understand what is happening to us. We need you. We need empathy and forgiveness and patience and love. Narcissistic abuse recovery is not like anything you've ever experienced, but it's very real nonetheless. So I know now that I don't exist for him. Our marriage never existed either. He remembers nothing. And the little bits and pieces that linger like dust are twisted and deformed so that they do not resemble the truth of our time together. He has packed me away and cataloged me on a shelf far in the back of his mind, all locked up neatly and tightly, compartmentalized. That is what destroys me every single day. Not being alive or real or having a history that can be mourned and honored and treated with the respect it deserves. A marriage deserves all of that and more. But for him, it's like it never happened. He moves on with some false joy and wild dreams, feeding these insatiable hungers that he has. He's a sublime predator. All people with NPD are. His life will always be missing the things that matter. And those who love these hollow men will carry the memories and mourn them as we move forward with hope for a tomorrow that's got to be brighter than today. We have to survive to help the ones coming up who will encounter this living hell next. We have been initiated into the club. We are part of the tribe, and we have an obligation now to survive. We have an obligation to survive so we can show compassion and help others through their suffering. And here's the bottom line to all of this, the takeaway that I want to leave you with. I think helping others through their suffering and pain feeling compassion for them and hurting when they hurt and wanting to help them. That's what makes us human. And you know what else? I think that's also how we heal. Thanks for listening and joining me today on NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Um, Leave your comments. Thank you.